We are back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Penn State is back in the win column after a 33-28 win. Uh, probably a lot closer than it should have been. And, uh, probably a few heart palpitations around Nittany Nation this weekend. But Penn State 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in the Big Ten as they re- return home against Iowa. Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Tyler, you were out in Bloomington. You just returned home on Sunday. What are your thoughts? It was very windy, first off. <laughs> Maybe one of the windiest games I've ever been to. But uh, as far as the action on the football field, uh, it, you know, this, this Penn State team, I thought you know, they had an opportunity there that, uh, you know, to, to put this thing away. I think we've seen that before in the past. Um, and then a series of events, all of a sudden, Indiana ends up with the ball in the final minute with a touchdown to win the game. And you're just wondering, oh, yeah, wow, could, could this happen to Penn State for a third straight week uh, where they give up a late touchdown on defense and and, and spoil anything that, that may have happened across the way? And um, obviously, Shaka Tony coming up with his fourth sack, forcing uh, Indiana to use their final timeout was a huge moment on that final series. But, you know, you got to be able to, to, to do better on the onside kick. you got to be able to, to shut the door on the previous Indiana drive. And, and once again, uh, got to be able to sustain a drive late in that game on offense to be able to put this one out of reach, burn more clock. You know, some consistent themes that have become season-long trends now. And we're going to get to a few of those. But at the end of the day, you know, Penn State went out. They got a win. Uh, you know, this Indiana team, I don't think they played terrible. I think they, they, they played a pretty good game, put that together. Overall, I think the win did affect both sides, you know, trying to throw the ball downfield. Uh, special teams, certainly. Um, but I think Penn State, they, they come home with a W. That's important for them, obviously, to get back 5-2. and two. Uh, but I do think, you know, there's plenty of questions that are still lingering for this team as they enter uh, the most difficult three-game stretch, uh, it appears, on their schedule. Yeah, that's still sitting ahead of Penn State right now, which is uh, crazy to think about considering the Ohio State-Michigan State run. Uh, as most of our listeners know, I'm also a Washington Redskins fan, and you can make your jokes, and they are well-deserved because this is a, a life that I've chosen for myself for some reason and going to make my kids do it too just because they have to deal with it. So uh, I watch Penn State on Saturday. It's my livelihood. I watch Washington on Sunday. I, nobody wants to give me nice, relaxing football to deal with. I mean, it's always got to be something. Uh, Penn State, you know, just uh, I'm not saying they tried to give it away, but you could say they tried to give it away. Washington did the same. So I, I really would like, you know, less stressful football. Hey, less stressful football for Purdue this weekend, man. I mean, the, the, oh, the, the Big Ten, man. the Big Ten, uh, it, I'm not saying it's gotten crazy, but, you know, Ohio State goes to Purdue and, and Ohio State, not as good as, as a lot of people thought. And I think we've talked about that a couple of times that, you know, they're, they're probably not, you know, championship caliber, maybe sneak into the playoff caliber but man Purdue just just put the wood to him it's another reminder of how uh it's always in in movement with college football there's never something where oh because it's this way in 2017 it's going to be this way in 2018 you look at the conversation around this conference during the offseason how often was it Jim Harbaugh Michigan kind of being the whipping boy for Ohio State Penn State Michigan State all three of those teams got wins over Michigan last year um, all three of those teams, I would say, across the country projected, uh, you know, in, in preseason polls above Michigan. And, and Michigan's got it in their hands right now. They're 7-1. and one. That one loss they suffered is against the number three team in the country as of this moment, Notre Dame. 
that was on the road. So the resume is there for Michigan. They've got a bye week. I don't know if a lot of uh, Penn State fans realize that Michigan's going to be coming off of a bye week into that matchup on November 3rd. Um, so so it's all there for the taking for Michigan. They're the only team you can say that about right now on, on the Big Ten. And if you look, by the way, over to the Big Ten West, that's a pretty ugly situation. Yeah, absolutely. Northwestern needing all four quarters to put away Rutgers. I know Piscataway, a tough place to play and all, but 18 to 15 there. Um, yeah, it's, it's insane because I, you know, I look at Michigan and I'm not sure that, that, that they're, you know, a, you know, just a, a, a playoff team either. I mean, you just, I, I watched some of the Michigan, Michigan state game, of course, the weather delays, which always seem to pop up at this time of year, um, you know, kind of uh, cut into it, but Michigan really not incredibly impressive. I know it's a rivalry game. I know Michigan state has a way of, of taking teams out of what they like to do and they did that on Saturday but yeah I mean it's uh it, it's really going to be interesting to see how this one comes down to um you know is, is it going to be a Purdue that that gets another key win is it going to be Northwestern scraping by every weekend is is Ohio State now with a little bit of a pressure off going to going to you know take control of their own destiny in their situation that Ohio State or excuse me that Ohio State Michigan State man that Ohio State Michigan game huge as always but getting back to Purdue for a second. Uh, I want to talk a little recruiting first and, and, and the way that they're doing. They're doing it uh, with points. They're doing it with style. Rondale Moore is phenomenal, best freshman in the country right now. Um, and really, just a, there's a lot to like if you're Purdue, which you know, from a Penn State standpoint, David Bell's out there. Um, he's in Indiana. He's watching Purdue. Steve Wilfong flipped his crystal ball from Penn State to back to Purdue. Um, so certainly it's a situation worth monitoring. Uh, Brom is going to get coaching offers, whether that's Louisville, whether that's somewhere else, but it's just a, a situation where Penn State looks like it's playing defense now for David Bell. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of the you, you love that you were able to get David Bell on campus, um, you know, for the Ohio State game, and and then previously for the Lash Bash, but you know, he's made it a point throughout his recruitment really that that this thing's going to go, uh, you know, into into the winter, and he's going to make these other official visits. So you got to hope that the lasting impact you made from the in-person visits carry over. Got to hope that your staff continues to make an impact during the conversations, uh, during visits over to Indianapolis. And and with David Bell, we've talked about it so often, one of the most prolific wide receivers that I've seen at the high school level when you just look at his stats, uh, more than 200 receptions, more than 4,000 receiving yards, more than 50 touchdowns. And that's the kind of performance for Purdue that you serve up on a platter when you talk to prospects and recruits. You run that montage of those highlights Time and time and time again in your screen room, in your meeting room, when you get prospects in there for official visits, you load them, mom, dad, you put them in, you put those highlights on, get a nice background music. I've seen it play out before with a coach on the rise and a program that was trying to make noise when I was wet Rutgers. After a win against number two Louisville in 2006, I saw that highlight montage of that game and the fans storming the field for probably the next two or three years, whenever recruits were hosted on campus, you got to try to exploit this kind of performance. And like you said, that was like, you know, down the stretch, there was no stress for Penn, for, for Purdue. They put that one away and they just piled it on. And as much as the conversation here in Happy Valley has been about James Franklin and the failure to close out games where you're leading the fourth quarter or it's down to the wire, one play makes a difference. The conversation in Columbus right now, and it is a very loud one in these last few days, is that Urban Meyer, when he loses, he loses in a terrible way. 
a wide margin. It happened on Saturday night, happened twice last year, happened against Clemson in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, the narrative is different on every campus, but I thought you had a great tweet, Sean, on Saturday night um, about, you know, how the rest of the Big Ten season was going to be interesting considering that Twitter fired James Franklin, Urban Meyer, and Mark D'Antonio within a few hours of each other on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I will apologize to Northwestern Twitter. I'm sure they fired, fired Pat Fitzgerald during that game as well. But I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy to think about. I think the, the big thing to take away from it, Jeff Brom is going to be a real hot name for a lot of teams, not just Louisville. I mean, we, we've always expected Louisville to, whenever they have to stop paying their coach right now, which the buyout is, is sort of up in the air. I mean, whenever that happens, uh, they're going to throw a ton of money at him. I, I've talked up Purdue a lot on the podcast in the last year and a half because they have committed to a coach they've committed to facilities they've spent a lot of money being a program that's better than you know or or committing to a level of program that's better than where they've been at for the last 10 years Um, but yeah I mean Purdue's going to have to 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 buck up some money because he's going to be a hot contender for you know some really good jobs if I don't think Auburn's going to open up considering the buyout for Gus Malzahn but yeah I mean anywhere that opens up he's going to be a name that's going to be thrown around and I think you know if you're Penn State you you throw that one in there too because Franklin's not going anywhere despite you know what a lot of people on Twitter think should be otherwise but yeah I mean it's uh it's one of those situations where if you're David Bell Penn State's got to hammer home the consistency and the uh you know the 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 highlight reel as you mentioned from from the last couple of years and and hope it comes together because right now not a ton of not a ton of momentum especially with four official visits left he's going to go to Purdue he's going to go to Ohio State Indiana Iowa still uh, on the docket he was at Tennessee this weekend so still fairly open with a decision that's uh that's a couple months off yeah let me tie in two your comments uh, one, uh, you're looking for a, a team to, to watch that, that closes things out and doesn't give you heart issues late. May I suggest Alabama, who just absolutely throttled Tennessee. David Bell was there to see it. I can't imagine the volunteers on the field made a great impression on him. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into official visits, as we've talked about before, than what happens for those 60 minutes of a game. But yeah, I might recommend Alabama. They seem to have a nice time uh, closing out games in the first half. They're not bad. I, I watched a little bit of them. You know, the, the, they can play a little bit. And it's going to be funny to, to sit back because I know all of the, the message boards and everything like that are, are harping on the negative. They're the, the, and it's all over the place. It's not just Penn State. We mentioned it last week. It's Expectations are crazy high in college football right now where you can't really you can't really get away from it. And one loss and you're done and one loss and your coach should be out. And Urban Meyer is one of the, you know, one of the best football coaches in the last uh, 50 years in college. And, you know, Ohio State fans want to get rid of him. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy when you think about it. Um, not really sure where this point is going, but uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's certainly interesting from an Alabama standpoint where that, there are people not happy with Nick Saban, I'm sure, because they give up a touchdown to Louisiana Lafayette or whatever the heck is, is going on down there. So college football, man, uh, the expectations have, have well uh, bypassed the, uh, you know, the reality in a lot of spots. And you know, I guess we're seeing that in the last couple of weeks. Yep, and Penn State message board on lines 24-7 and just the conversations you overhear around town these last few weeks. Look, you folks are not alone in being frustrated and not feeling like your program where it needs to be. Go ask the Auburn fans. Go ask Ohio State fans this week. If Michigan loses to, to Penn State, they're going to be saying Jim Harbaugh can't get that program over the hump just like as hard as they're praising that program uh, this week. So a long way to go, but I think when we look at the, you know, kind of five games left, Sean, who's going to Indianapolis for this game? 
it's still hard to figure out. Michigan's in the driver's seat in the East. Ohio State's going to need some help now. They get Michigan later in the year. Penn State would need a lot of help. They already had the loss against Ohio State. And then in the West, you got Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, all with one loss in conference play. But uh, still another five weeks uh, of the season left, but uh, it's it's very much unsettled in this conference. Penn State's certainly going to need a lot of help. I, I think that ship has pretty much sailed. I mean, it would take several upsets and crazy things to happen. Not that, you know, it's college football. It could, but, you know, for, for Penn, from a Penn State standpoint, uh, that loss to Michigan State really just kind of put them behind the eight ball. Speaking of Michigan State, they picked up a commitment from the Keystone State this week. Uh, Aaron Young, who, you know, had long been considered a Rutgers-Penn State battle, kind of things kind of went a different direction there at the end. He ended up with Michigan State, who took him as an athlete uh, over uh, rather than a running back. Um, but really interesting there. Uh, Steve Wilt Fong and I collaborated on some notes last week and talked about Penn State's pursuit of a running back in addition to Devin Ford, who obviously is a, you know, a top-tier running back in the country, but still looking for that national level. And, and, and Young was kind of an afterthought in that article. For, the, for those of you that read it, you know what we're talking about. But um, Penn State really uh, setting their sights high. Uh, Mark Anthony Richards uh, out of Florida, who's uh, a Jaywan Cider guy. He's been a Cider guy for a long time. I think it's the one whose mother went to high school with, with Cider. Um, and then uh, Noah Kane coming up for an official visit against Wisconsin. So Penn State really setting their sights high at running back. And you, you look at the, uh, the targets across the board in the 2019 class not a ton of space left but a lot of wiggle you know uh, there is some wiggle room there so another running back they love another receiver maybe two receivers you've got the two quarterbacks in you've got Brenton Strange as a tight end the uh you know the the priorities remain with the offensive and defensive lines you'd like a couple more uh offensive probably offensive tackles guys like Ja'Kai Moore um and then on the defensive side uh Jared Harrison Hunt um Adisa Isaac remain top of the board targets for Penn State whereas you know you've got a couple of defensive tackles in there. Devon Ellis from Baltimore. Really intrigued by, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Jeffrey Emba from, uh, the, he, he's playing at St. Thomas More. He's from France. He was going to come over and play at St. Francis. Um, transferred, I think, to a couple different, or at least said he was going to transfer to a couple different schools. This kid's really interesting because he's, uh, you know, 6'3", 300 pounds, maybe 300, maybe 290, um, pretty well built. Um, his, he, he's getting accustomed to, to American football, which is why he's here. But playing with Tyler Rudolph at St. Thomas More is a really good start to the season. I, I think you'll see those offers that he had when he was at St. Francis, which were a result of him playing at St. Francis. It's not, I mean, we're, we're not kidding anybody by this kid had never really put together tape against American competition. You know, Penn State was one of those offers. They're, I think they're going to stay in the mix. I think this is a, a really interesting recruitment, not necessarily one that's, you know, Penn State's favorite or anything like that, but really interesting recruitment when you talk about the the pieces that you need for a defensive tackle because his experience level is not high, but you, you look at the ceiling and the athletic uh, ability of this kid, and, and there's something there. And, and going back to the running backs, I, I've been pretty captivated about that since the spring because Devin Ford committed, and you knew they weren't done yet. And the names that they're mentioning here, whether it's uh, you know Richards, uh, Noah Kane, these are you know guys who have been heavily recruited throughout much of their college career. And if you can combine that in the class with what you already have in Devin Ford, maybe bring in two of the top 10, 15 running backs in the country, uh, that's a pretty good way to replace uh, you know two guys in Mark Allen, Jonathan Thomas, who are departing that running back room. Obviously, Mark Allen's done for the year. Jonathan Thomas made a, made a great play on special teams against Indiana. Hasn't done much in the backfield during his career. 
that would be a really impressive addition to your running back room. And and I think we're as much as you know, there's there's some concern right now about Penn State's offense in terms of the passing game. You know, you look at what Miles Sanders has done on the ground throughout you know these seven games as a starting running back, and uh, the guy's been you know everything you would need him to be at, at running back. So I think you know the, the the momentum that was building from Saquon Barkley and his success in Happy Valley. And, and his name comes up every time you talk to these running backs. You're going to start to hear about Miles Sanders now when you hear when you talk to these prospects because he's got six games over 100 total offensive yards in seven games. He's starting to get a little bit more involved in the receiving game as the Indiana uh, matchup reflected. Um, and again, behind them, you know, Ricky Slade, Journey Brown, chomping at the bit. I'm sure to, to get involved down the road, but. I think this could be a really interesting and extremely talented running back, running back group. Um, you know, when Miles Sanders is gone and Saquon Barkley is years in his career, uh, it still could have a lot of success from the talent that's going to be in place. If you're looking at a spot where Penn State, you know, has has really hit it out of the park with uh, with running back, I, and and I say hit it out of the park, you've got you know Barkley, Sanders, Slade, of course, Journey Brown was sprinkled in there, Devin Ford's there as well. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's not the best. I think George is probably the best running back recruiting um, team in the country right now, but Penn State probably two or three in that situation. So, um, running backs a, a spot where you probably should not have any gripes. And it's funny, I got a, a message from Devin Ford's coach, uh, one of his assistance he's really killing it and it's not just as a running back he's playing a lot of slot for them this year he's playing a lot of receiver he's playing uh, i believe strong safety and re- returned to fumble 55 or 45 yards for a touchdown this week so devin ford a uh, heck of a football player you know m- most running backs are but uh, that's certainly a, a good sign especially that receiving part because penn state uh, you know that's been something that has been missing during their their, their recent lull and they went to miles sanders this week we're gonna you know get back into any but they went back Back to uh, Miles Sanders as a receiver this week. He led them six catches, 54 yards, including a, a really nice catch in the first drive that sort of set the tone for that. Yeah, Sanders' first six games of the season, nine total catches, 58 receiving yards. He almost matches that re- uh, receiving yardage total in this one game against Indiana. And I think that's something that a lot of fans were, were clamoring for, finding ways to get in touches. You know, and Penn State's done a nice job managing you know the snaps out of its backfield. Um, you know, I think maybe some people would have liked to see Miles Sanders get some carries later in that game against Indiana. He's only gone over 20 carries in one of these games. That was his 200-yard performance against Illinois. Other than that, he's been somewhere between 15, 19 carries, uh, reception here, reception there. Have not really pounded him. I think he's somebody, though, as we move into this nastier weather against some of these, you know, obviously the next few opponents, uh, they're going to be hard-nosed and and just difficult matchups. I would not be surprised to see uh, that workhorse volume start to really creep up um, as the season carries on. Yeah, I think so. And I, I do think they need to go to him more. And I don't think it's a, you know, a shortcoming in the offense. And you have plenty of questions in terms of uh, of, of where he's been in certain situations. But, you know, I think he's he's getting a decent workload. I think I'd probably, you know, if I'm running the show, take a little bit of that load off a of trace because I don't know if, if he's banged up. I mean, he took a beating in that Ohio State game. And obviously, he's not one to shy away from contact. He, he got hit on the hand the other day in the Indiana game. So, um, you know, you'd, you'd like to see Sanders get as many touches as possible. I think he's making the most of his opportunity right now, and, and we'll see how that goes. Getting quickly into Indiana, and it looks like you have a point to make, but, uh, you know, quick, <laughs> go for it, man. Well, I'm just going to – the rushing game in general and tying that into Indiana, it's really taken a, a turn here in the past few weeks, hasn't it? I, I mean, uh, I remember James Franklin speaking. I believe it was heading into uh, the 
Ohio State matchup where they were really wanting to uh, concentrate on a three-back rotation with Miles Sanders as the bell cow and another two guys sprinkled in there. You know what? It was actually before the Illinois game when Mark Allen was still available. Um, so you know, Mark Allen's out of the equation. Ricky Slade, who ran for 94 yards and two touchdowns in his first Big Ten game against Illinois, he has one touch for eight yards. That came against Michigan State in the past three games. He was not on the field uh, for two of those, Ohio State, Indiana. We saw Journey Brown get an opportunity to, to spell Sanders a little bit um, against Indiana, but it was pretty much miles all the way. And then you're seeing Trace McSorley, t- to your point, take on a much larger role. I know we're all used to seeing him being that dual-threat guy, but here's a stat that stood out. In his first 30 starts with Penn State, he did not surpass 90 rushing yards in a single game. In his last four starts, he surpassed 90 yards in three of them. He went over 100 yards on Saturday. Uh, he went over 100 yards against Ohio State. He's a guy that, that they are leaning on heavily, especially as the passing game goes through some issues. Yeah, he's your goal line back as well. But uh, he's also my offensive player of the week. I'm just looking at that offense once again and and saying, hey, um, you know, where's the guy that's stepping up? We're going to get into some issues a little bit later. But uh, Trace, uh, good enough on Saturday. And that's uh, that's an important step forward after that Michigan State game. You know, they're going to need him against Iowa. They're going to need him for all of these games. Um, and, uh, you know, missed a couple of deep balls, missed a couple of, of receivers, really bringing the heat on the, some of those short routes, which, you know, is uh, – you. I think you can question um, that as well, but uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, this guy had you in position for a you know, it was a thirteen point win or twelve point win or something like that on the road, which is is pretty much what you're asking of him. And again, in, in terms of looking to, to throw the ball downfield, and they did try to take some shots there. That was evident at, at certain stages. Uh, but the win was a major factor if you're trying to get the ball 30, 40 yards uh, through the air. And, and, and it just, I think that was a, a big issue. But let's face it, it's been, you know, the completion percentage hasn't been there. I, I spoke about that last week, but I think buried a little bit of uh, coming out of this Indiana game, Trix McSorley becomes only the 11th player in Big Ten history to surpass 10,000 career yards of total offense. He did that against Indiana. Um, but, you know, last year against Indiana, that's kind of a, a – you, you see the juxtaposition of where this offense formula is now versus where it was. He completed 64% of his passes, threw a couple touchdowns, 315 passing yards uh, last year at Beaver Stadium. It was a nicer day, granted. But you look at this season, he has not – matched or surpassed that 64% completion percentage in any of the seven games. He connected on 53% of his pass attempts Saturday, uh, you know, interception in that mix. Uh, and he failed to reach the 60% mark for the sixth time in 2018. He only did that three times in 13 games last year. But again, the thing with Trace McSorley, what stands out, something I wrote about on Sunday morning coming off of this and coming back from Bloomington, he finds a way. And, and and that's kind of what we talked about with Trace McSorley throughout his career. He finds a way to make things happen. He's improvisational. He can go to his legs when he needs to. And again, um, the, those are the intangibles um, that that you know won't be at the quarterback position, or we don't know what will be at the quarterback position. But you, when you lose Trace McSorley, you lose that guy who has proven he'll find a way to make it happen. He'll find a way to keep this team in the game. They have not been blown out since that Michigan game in 2016, and Trace McSorley has shown. Uh, he's not going to allow it to happen. He's going to put enough points on the board, you know, sustain enough possessions to keep that, 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 that team in the mix. You haven't seen them come out with a 7- or 10-point clunker that leaves everyone head scratching. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of funny to think back to the 2015 uh, season, uh, 2014 and 2015, when those clunkers were 10 points. And, and now you're talking about, uh, you know, obviously Michigan State was, was in, in its own, but 33 points against Indiana and everybody's, you know, not too happy with the offense. So I think the expectation, while it should be higher, is, is pretty funny when you when you put it like that. Defensively, Shaka Tony was absolutely huge for Penn State. Uh, I think he made a case for Big Ten defensive player of the week, although I think all the awards went to Purdue guys this week. Uh, just uh, We're going to talk a little about the defensive ends later, but Shaka uh, was right where he needed to be, really developing into a more all-around player. Um, said this on Twitter a little bit yesterday. Everybody thinks of him as the situational pass rusher guy. I think everyone still thinks of him as a 210-pounder or something like that, but he's added that weight. He's improved his game. He's been better against the run this year, and, and he really stepped up when he needed to against the Hoosiers. Yeah, four sacks and, you know, six-plus minutes of game action is, is pretty unspeakable. Uh, and I haven't seen it in person. I can definitely guarantee you that. And for it to come in the final six-plus minutes of this game, you know, none bigger than that four sack he picked up, forcing Michigan State to burn that timeout with 39 seconds to go. That that ran them out of timeouts and, and, and put them in a really tough situation in terms of, of downs and yardage. But I think, you know, what really impressed me with Shaka Tony is going in and speaking with him after this game, he was made available to the media. He was very ho-hum about it. You know, he actually used the phrase, you know, just another day at the job. And he said, you know, it's, it's something he wants to go out and do. He spoke a lot, and this is something I wrote about this over the weekend as well. He, he studies the heck out of Vaughn Miller. And Vaughn Miller, if you're an edge rusher, is the guy you should study. Been a prolific player for, for the Denver Broncos, a six-time All-Pro, a Super Bowl MVP. He leads the league in sacks, uh, you know, coming into this weekend. Um, and, and he talked about how he wants to get his Vaughn Miller on. And I think uh, Penn State fans are in favor of seeing a lot more of him getting that Vaughn Miller on, moving ahead. And what a difference he made. Uh, he's my defensive MVP, too. But uh, up until the end, I, I would have gone Etor Gross Matos because, you know, team high 10 tackles, two sacks. He is playing like a guy who knows where he's supposed to be. I think he, that fluidity is really starting to be there, Sean, that maybe was lacking last year, a little bit earlier in the season. Uh, the mental stuff, the physical stuff, they're on the same page right now, and you're seeing the kind of package that he can put out in the football field. Curious if we see more of both of them out there this week, along with Sharif Miller. I think Penn State going to throw a lot of defensive linemen at Iowa, considering what uh, what we're used to seeing Iowa do, Iowa, Wisconsin, maybe Michigan as well. Used to be where, where you would see Kevin Givens in that five-technique role, but given where Penn State is at defensive tackle, and, and we still may see that, but given where Penn State is at, at defensive tackle, you're wondering if that's uh, you know the best course of action for those guys. So uh, moving along, uh, special teams, I'm going with Johnny Thomas. I mean, when they needed a play, uh, probably the last guy that you would expect to turn to. But, you know, Thomas almost got that ball to the end zone and stepped out of bounds at the five on that kick return right after Indiana took a touch, uh, excuse me, took a one point lead on a touchdown. And uh, I mean, that's uh, that's your big play right there. That's your special team splash play. And it's certainly from an unexpected source, but uh, good for him. Yeah, and and this is just a, a great moment individually for Jonathan Thomas, who, um, you know, has worked his butt off behind the scenes for most of his career, you know, carving out a role on special teams. You know, he's on that running back depth chart, but obviously he's not the guy you're going to see utilized much there. You saw him get some action against Kent State earlier in the season, but for the ball to end up in his hands and then for to take it all the way down the field in that situation, and it was, I'll tell you what, you, you could just feel in the stadium like, you know, Penn State's in trouble. You know, they're down by one here. They haven't shown a lot of life here in the second half. And that was the spark they needed. If there's anyone that's going to fire up that sideline, 
it, it's seeing a fifth year guy who, who they've seen dedicate so much uh, blood, sweat, and tears into getting that spot. It was a bummer, I will say, to, to see him not not just from watching the the game or or, or t- from Penn State's perspective, just from his perspective, to step out there at the five yard line. It's not like Trace McSorley needed another touchdown on his resume. He scored the next play, but. What a momentum swinger delivered by a, a guy that I think carries as much respect in that locker room as any player. Scored a rushing touchdown. The streak is over. The the fabled 34-game uh, passing touchdown streak for Trace McSorley is over. I'm sure he's happy to get a win. And, you know, the, the streak was a cool number and everything. But I think, you know, if you, if you trade, trade a Michigan State win instead of a passing touchdown, I think he would take that every day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, – the it's crazy how much people have talked about that because it's uh you know really kind of insignificant i mean it's a it's a cool number and it's great to throw out and it shows how consistent he's been but uh yeah i mean Penn State scored 33 points without him throwing a passing touchdown tommy stevens of course had the passing touchdown to pat fryermuth but uh it's uh it, it, it that's a long time ago man that's a long time ago yeah so, yeah uh, I, and i will tell you uh you know there was some conversation in the press box, and there's always a lot of conversation and speculation up there, as you know. But, you know, with under four and a half minutes to go and, and Penn State leading uh, by 12 points, they come out and they throw those three passes. I think they took less than 30 seconds off the clock. There was some speculation. Is Are they trying to extend Trace McSorley's streak here? Because they had a couple deep shots. Or are they trying to be a little bit more aggressive after not passing the ball last week in the four in the four minute offense and throw those? Either way, the result was less than stellar. You can't take twenty seconds off the you know, twenty nine seconds off the clock with a twelve point lead, less than four and a half minutes to go. That was another indication that uh, you know things aren't coming together how you need them to come together as a team that needs to finish. I think this is a staff that's really trying to, to, to over or not trying to overthink, but is outthinking themselves where, you know, you go from three rushes and it's not working and three rushes, it's not working to three passes and it's not working. You know, I think on third down, you you were going to pass regardless, but I mean, just some of the shots that they took the first down shot, I, I just don't see, I mean, just was not there. Um, I, I don't have a huge problem with throwing it three times, but it goes back to what James Franklin has said in the past. It's not about the play call it's about the execution and didn't get it done running the ball against uh, Ohio State didn't get it done running a ball against Michigan State and then you turn around and uh, you know do kind of the exact opposite where you know I'm not calling plays or anything but you know you get you get Hamler in motion do one of those jets jet sweep tosses or whatever and maybe all of a sudden you break a big play and it's it's about the first down it's not about the clock it's not about the timeouts it's about the first down because you know really without those it's just irrelevant I mean because you get those first downs and and, and you close out games and it's over and you don't have the, the Indiana drive you don't have the you know the Michigan State touchdown which by the way Felton Davis uh, just really feel bad for I'm sure Penn State fans probably don't feel the same way considering the way he's treated the Nittany Lions in the last couple of years, but uh, the torn Achilles is, is a tough way to go. But back to the four-minute offense, uh, I think there's a happy medium there. Um, you know, you, you you can, you know, run on first down, you know, make them burn that timeout. You run on, you, you know, you do something short on second down. I mean, just play around with it a little bit, and, and you don't get this opportunity very often, but this is a very situational ball club. We see it every week at practice. They're working on specific situations, and, uh, you know, this is just one of those things where, you know, you, you almost have to pound it until uh, just not so much pound, pound it as a, in a running game, but, you know, pound with something that, uh, that that you can move the football with because right now there's just very little imagination in there. Yeah, and, and look, this staff, they've got 
the countless assistants working and GAs working around the clock to, to come up with the advanced metrics on how to handle these things. And, and obviously, Ricky Ronnie wants to get this right. And James Franklin wants to get this right. For me, I, I just, you know, I go to the most basic of stats available to us in real time as that's happening. And those three pass attempts happen, you know, and again, 29 seconds off the clock. You've got a pass uh, attack that has completed about 54% of throws and and at that point nearly seven full games you've got a running back who in those seven games is averaging more than six and a half yards per carry on rush attempts I just I don't see how you don't get a handoff in on that and and I know it's you know a lot of that it's easy to be that second uh, you know the the armchair quarterback and and review that that's a lot of what we do because we don't have access to a lot of the information on why these decisions are made but I look at those you know just general stats right there baseline information um, and that's why it's just stunning and oh by the way throw in the fact that James Franklin said this was the windiest game he's been involved in again three passes. Less than four and a half minutes to go, up by 12. Uh, not handing the ball off to Miles Sanders, who is you know, averaging more than six yards a clip. Uh, just, just doesn't add up, I guess, uh, from, from, my, you know, from a common sense perspective. Again, there is far more involved than common sense uh, when, you, when you put together a game plan and how you're going to handle situational football. Uh, but that's my very, very broad take, I would say. Yeah, I think it's overthinking. Getting back to that point, um, just the, the third time you have that opportunity and you just go completely in the other direction. I, and I think that's trying to, to get too cute to think about it. And I, like I said last week, I like them throwing the ball in that situation. But, you know, there's a time and a place for it and, and you get the right uh, matchups and the right opportunities and, and you can be golden in that situation. So, you know, hopefully Penn State finds themselves in that situation again this week against Iowa and you know, we'll see what they do there. But yeah, a lot of the same themes that we see from this team and it's been becoming a more frustrating team to watch, I think, where with the drops, uh, with the linebacker play, I thought Koa Farmer was was really in it over his head this weekend uh, at Indiana. We saw a pretty nice game from Micah Parsons, so you wonder which way those reps are going to go moving forward. Uh, the four-minute offense, the special teams, uh, you know, had the extra point blocked and, you know, there were a couple of uh, the couple situations, all oh, the, the fake punt. I didn't even uh, want to mention the fake punt because that was that bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just so many, so many holes in that game, and uh, it's just becoming the same thing over and over again. There's only so many times we can talk about the wideouts. There's only so many times we can talk about the play calls on you know late in the fourth quarter with the four minute offense. Uh, just becoming very frustrating to to, to follow. Yeah, it, it, first it's you know. Late, early season inefficiencies is the way we were probably phrasing it, you know, getting acclimated with new pieces and, a, you know, new offensive coordinator and just working through that. Then you get to the point where early in Big Ten play, you're thinking these things are now very much trends. And now here we are. November's creeping up on us very fast. It's almost like this is your football team. You know, this is your Penn State football program of 2018. Uh, they do some things very well. These handful of things that we keep talking about are, are just not going to be strong suits. Unless there's a, a major change, uh, whether it's a personnel thing or strategy or execution. Um, but at this point, we got a seven game sample size, Sean. That's more than enough to kind of understand that it's not just, uh, you know, issues that are popping up. There are issues that have remained uh, substantial. It's interesting to note that one of those issues is the punting game. You know, Blake Gilligan uh, comes in you know, uh, as an esteemed punter and, and he earned that. 
but James Franklin during the postgame press conference said, you know, they thought that the punting game was was going to be a real strength for this program and, and really, you know, in, in terms of field position. And right now it's not. And, you know, that was regardless of the wind and, and what have you. Franklin made that statement after the game and just said to this point in the season, the punting game has not been the strength they anticipated. And I think that, you know, that's obviously alarming. The, the fake punt run for Blake can't wrap my head around that. Uh, would love to see, you know, how it was actually drawn up and executed on the practice field and, and what it looked like when it worked because that didn't look like it had a chance even if K.J. Hamler had the ball with a little bit of space to work. I don't think he's escaping that situation that Blake Gillikin encountered. And then the drops. I mean, it, that is what it is at this point. That, that That is something that they have not been able to shake off. By my count, there were five drops um, on Saturday, two from Matt Kippenhammer, a two from Brandon Polk, who, who has really not taken that next step uh, with his expanded opportunities uh, in Big Ten play. And then uh, another drop for Jawan Johnson, who, by the way, we didn't see in the second half. Uh, we did see him kind of uh, limping off the field after that game. Didn't have his helmet on the second half, so obviously we can take away that he wasn't available. He did have a big gain. He had 70-plus yards, and that was the most he had um, for the season in in any game, and that was only in one half, and and much of that coming off, I think, a 59-yard reception. Uh, But again, he had another drop, and that's five drops. It's it's adding up. And and Remember last week, Sean, when we had the lesser amount of listeners, and I went through those wide receiver statistics, and, and those who listened really seemed to respond. Well, I think we've gained some some listeners because it's coming off a win. So let me go into just a few more of those if you'll if you'll allow me. Go for it, man. All right. Uh, here are your receptions leaders for Penn State and through four Big Ten games. KJ Hamler has 15 catches for 272 yards and three touchdowns. Jawan Johnson has 13 catches for 203 yards and one touchdown. Pat Fryermuth has nine catches for 113 yards and three touchdowns. Now, beyond those three guys, Fryermuth, Johnson, and Hamler, no Penn State player has surpassed 100 receiving yards through four Pig 10 games. Um, so Miles Sanders is actually the next guy in terms of receptions. Eight catches in Big Ten play. Six of those came against Indiana. And then you go down to Matt Hippenhammer. He's got five catches for 92 yards, but that was not his finest moment against Indiana. A couple drops in that one. Jonathan Holland, believe it or not, he has collected all of this uh, statistical uh, output against Illinois. The first game, he had three catches for 53 yards in that Big Ten opener. That still puts him ahead of Brandon Polk, who has 43 receiving yards, and DeAndre Tompkins, who has 23 receiving yards uh, through their first four Big Ten games. That's an alarming stat to me. Jonathan Holland has been buried on the depth chart because of the rise of Pat Fryermuth and the reemergence of Nick Bowers. But he still has more receiving yards in that one game against Illinois than Brandon Polk and DeAndre Tompkins have in these four Big Ten games. Cam Sullivan Brown's a guy I think to watch. Three catches for 40 yards. Uh, but again, that, that's kind of telling you where things are at. And, and once again, Franklin was asked about the personnel. Is it something to look to evaluate? He certainly said it would be something they look to evaluate. They do that every week, he says. Uh, you know, Ricky Ronnie really uh, told us last week, he stepped up and said that the Andre Tompkins, Brandon Polk ineffectiveness was not a personnel issue. He said it was the way defenses were playing this team. Well, these defenses must have a great plan because, again, Polk and Tompkins threw four games uh, in, against Big Ten opponents. They are averaging a combined fewer than two receptions per game and fewer than 20 receiving yards per game. Not just one of them, both of them are averaging fewer than 20 receiving yards per game. 
Yeah, all that uh, interest and, and, and attention driven to Saquon Barkley last year must have gone to the Z receiver this year, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely worth questioning. And, you know, I, I you know, the, the ball is, is going that way. Brandon Polk had a terrible, terrible game against Indiana. In the end uh, zone, one of those drops. Yep. Exactly. That, uh, you know, should have obviously should have been a touchdown. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to think of that situation. Last week, I stumped for hip and hammer at that, you know, maybe moving to that spot and getting some time in there. He's not getting it done. You know, he had a drop as well that led to a pick. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown, I was, uh, you know, was pleasantly surprised by he, he stepped up and made some qu- some catches when the when the ball came his way. But plenty of questions there. Um, moving we did back see some freshman receivers, by the way. Couple yes. of true freshmen out there. Jahan Dotson with his first career catch. Daniel George getting some run. Uh, Justin Shorter. We saw him in the pregame warmups. You know, looked like he was going about his business per normal. He stayed on the sidelines, so he still has only appeared in that Kent State game. But Jahan Dotson got some run. Daniel George did. Uh, we'll see if those opportunities expand moving ahead because. Both of those guys, you still got two more games, so you're at four games, uh, and the redshirt stuff comes into play. I think you got to continue to see what you have, and and you know I, I think there were some injuries there that led to their appearances, but you got to factor in. There's got to be some performance motivation that leads to those guys getting on the field. We talked about that a lot. I've personally talked about it way too much, but I think it's something that our audience has been really interested in, and and you saw. You know, signs that those guys may be getting a little bit more involved there against Indiana. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And there was a lot of good things that happened, too. We mentioned the wonderful opening drive, uh, the throwing the ball to, to Miles Sanders. Uh, I like that they took some shots. Trace, not uh, nearly as accurate he, as he has been. I think, you know, the wind kind of played into that, but really been rusty on that uh, on that end as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think there's a lot of good to take out of it. The defensive end play was really terrific. Uh, Sharif Miller w- didn't have the stat line. He was good. Yitor Gross Matos and Shaka Tony were really good. Shane Simmons got involved as well. So that's good to see that position sort of coming around after that early season scare with the with the depth that they had and the injuries that they had. Um, a couple of takeaways: PJ Mustafer, just uh, and Jonathan Sutherland getting in, forcing some fumbles and, and doing some good things. And, and the important thing is that they're five and two winning on the road in the big 10 not easy i know it's a cliche that uh, coaches want to throw out and fans don't want to take because it's indiana because it's rutgers or maryland or something like that but this is a, a difficult uh, you know league to win in indiana is 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 better than we've seen at times you know that and it, you know they're, they're not good i mean let's not get a, let's not uh, get that twisted or anything like that but this is a, a situation where you know you can go in anywhere and, and get beat we saw ohio state do that this weekend and, and penn state is coming home with with a win yeah they're back uh, in the win column they're, they're five and two and they're, they're still ranked and they have a lot ahead of them. I mean, you've got three ranked opponents coming up, and we'll talk about those, and specifically Iowa, later on this week in our next episode. But you've still got a lot ahead of you to kind of define what the season's all about, to, to redefine the trajectory. And guess what? Going on the road and winning in the Big Ten is very difficult. Uh, this is a team that had a lot of psychological questions going on the road in the Big Ten, and that makes it even harder. So I think, you know, just speaking with those players, and we got about five or six of them after the game, there was definitely some relief in the voice, a little bit more confidence. I think they're ready to turn the page and enter this next phase and kind of view it as uh, the second half, the true second half of their season right now. 
but where they got these three ranked opponents, they can go make some statements. Uh, they can really shake things up potentially. Uh, but I think ultimately you look at some of the individual takeaways from this game. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, PJ Mustafer, another young contributor, Jonathan Sutherland, you know, he needed to get in there because Garrett Taylor was ejected for a targeting penalty. That's two weeks out of three now. Uh, where we've seen a Penn State defensive player ejected for targeting. And it's the second time that we've seen it happen in the second half. So that means Garrett Taylor, who has been playing at a very high level, in my opinion, will not be out in the field against Iowa for the first half. That means a lot of Jonathan Sutherland. Uh, James Franklin saying after the game, he's a guy they've been looking to get more reps to in general. Uh, This creates that opportunity to do it. So confidence in Sutherland. And also a takeaway on the offensive line, Uh, We spoke a lot about how Penn State's been in an enviable position up front because they've had the same group of starters so many consecutive games, whereas, you know, a team like Michigan State, uh, they can't seem to get the same five guys in the field together at the same time. But now we're seeing a little bit of, you know, a a concern creep in at right tackle. It's back to where it was at the start of the season with Chaz Wright and Will Fries, you know, rotating in and out based on series. We actually saw more of Chaz Wright than we did of Will Fries uh, on Saturday against Indiana. Uh, he got beat badly a couple times, but I'd be curious to see how those guys graded out in the evaluation process for Penn State staff. But you know, I think that's not really what you want to be doing. And, and Lime Grover, Coach Lime Grover with the offensive line, said this preseason. He would prefer not to platoon players at certain positions. Would like to roll with guys all those snaps. And Will Fries, you know, had a stranglehold on that job for a nice stretch, but. Uh, now here we are, get, you know, getting to the midway point of the Big Ten schedule, and all of a sudden, right tackle, you know, you're not really sure what the plan is moving ahead. Yeah, and that's a serious question mark. Will Fries in that two loss stretch did not play well, and I think that's uh, you know that's why we saw more Chaz Wright. And Chaz Wright is limited for what he brings you, but also you know you you, you know what you're getting with him. You, you're going to try and be able to run the ball behind him. You're going to have to have defenders sort of run around him, which is a long route, and they've done it before, but that's a long route to get there. So um, the, it's a question mark that you would rather not have seven games into the season, but there's some competition there. Iowa coming to town this weekend. Weather, you know, not looking great. Of uh, mid forties and rain right now is the is the forecast. We'll see how that comes. Iowa with a twenty three to nothing win over Maryland in r- similar windy conditions. Probably a little bit windier than it was at, at in Bloomington this weekend. So um, the the Iowa team, and we'll talk much more about them later this week. The Iowa team, not really sure what you get at this point. Uh, they've been impressive. They had a nice little win at, at Indiana uh, the week before Penn State went out. Out there looked uh, you know better than Penn State did against Indiana, uh, but uh, they have the, they've got the loss to Wisconsin, who's you know not not as good as I think people thought they would be um, a close win over Iowa state, which is a tough one for, for, for Iowa every year. But uh, to really, I think there's plenty of questions there. They're, they're putting a lot of points on the board, which is not your typical Iowa team, but at the same time, I mean, there's, there's, there's reasonable speculation as to why Penn state enters this game as a favorite as of now. And by the way, you know, we, we've heard a lot of Penn state fans say it. And, and I know there's a lot of emotion there, but you know, though the season's lost its meaning, what's the point anymore? Two games uh, lost. We're not going to the playoffs. Uh, not going to get to the Big Ten championship game. Well, guess what? Your football program has an opportunity here to play the number 18 team in the country, the number five team in the country, the number 20 team in the country over the next three weeks and show what they're about. 
Um, and look, we'll see what happens. They can't play like they have in the in the past two weeks and expect to go through these three games uh, strong and, and feeling good. But if they can go on a run here, I know a lot of fans would love to see them spoil things for Michigan, who is now the trendy pick to make the playoff out of the Big Ten because of the way they play. But Penn State's going to have a say in their fate, and they're going to have a say in what happens, uh, you know, with Wisconsin. And they can make moves. And by the way, put themselves in a position to finish top ten potentially in the Associated Press poll for the third straight year that hasn't happened in 35 years. So look, the season's not lost just because the national championship isn't available at your fingertips. But I will say, um, you know, as, as much promise as the next three weeks present, they also present a lot of pitfalls and, and it could really take a downturn. So we'll see, but all we can do right now is, is get ready for this Saturday showdown and go to Beaver stadium and see what kind of Penn state football team shows up. It should be, fun maybe i don't know it's a we talked about the expectations earlier this uh this episode and it's crazy to think about where uh you know the where these these expectations were just a few weeks ago and where they're at now you know i certainly expect at least i do expect penn state to 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 trip up again along the way especially the way that they've looked and the schedule and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah it's going to be interesting to see how this grows because you're you're talking about um an offensive coordinator under some pressure and i think it's it's justified you know given how Penn State has has played in the last couple of weeks and um, you know as we get closer to the end of the season there's going to be more chatter about that so I think there's a lot of pressure on Ricky Ronnie to respond um, you know you, you'd hope that he does not respond like he did in the four minute offense where he just kind of flipped the script on everyone and, and went with something completely different and then, then that of course didn't work and backfired so um, it, it's going to be really interesting I, and and I think I'm on record it's not the right call to, to, to ax him now but you know there's certainly performance reviews to be coming up and it's going to be interesting to see how that one bounces and by the way we've talked about it before it's a young team uh, they are building you know the foundation to finish strong as they hope to do in, in 2018 but let's face it I'm always peeking peeking down the road it's it's the recruiting reporter in me um, and, and there's a lot of guys who can make positive strides in these next uh, you know five regular season games whatever happens after that and set the stage for, for guys who are going to be well-seasoned and ready to, you know, to carry this program forward in 2019. You're not losing a ton of players. You're losing key players. And, and that's way down the line. But there is always something to play for in college football where development is at the crux of everything you want to accomplish. Absolutely. And we're 49 minutes into a short episode, as I told Tyler before we came out. Uh, a few interruptions, uh, one broken wine glass as well that uh, kind of popped up in the middle of the episode that nobody got to hear on that. But uh, yeah, it's been an interesting one. So we're going to get to 50 minutes. We're going to say that's uh, we're going to call it a day. And we're going to be back later on this week to talk more Penn State, Iowa. Follow along on the site. We've got press conference coverage, practice coverage uh, in the meantime, and uh, plenty of recruiting coverage as well. Uh, this is the Lions 24 24- seven podcast he's tyler donahue i'm sean fitz thanks for joining us we'll see you later this week